0: Well, hey everybody, it is great to see you tonight. My name is Paul, I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm so excited that you came out to be a part of our service tonight as we continue in our series, Who the Blank is Jesus. And I want to tell you, I get it, I get it. For some of you, like the the name of this series, it kind of appears a little risque, right? It's a a little offensive. For some of you, it might even sound, you know, to say, Who the Blank is Jesus, might be a little scandalous well do you know that's the very title for our message tonight we have a message entitled jesus is scandalous in fact we have an outline for our message it's a light green sheet found in your program let me encourage you to open your program and and use this to follow along and I, and in asking you to fill in the blank like who the blank is jesus do you know that is exactly what jesus did with his disciples do you know Jesus asked his disciples to fill in the blank? When Jesus was preaching and teaching and, and performing his miracles, there was a lot of talk, a lot of discussion about who Jesus really was. And what I love about Jesus is he got really personal with his disciples, and he asked them this question in Matthew 16, verses 15 and 16. It says, and then Jesus asked them, but who do you say that I am? Like fill in the blank. Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Now, would you underline that phrase, but who do you say that I am? Did you know that this Christmas, by how you handle the holidays, you are going to make a powerful statement about who Jesus really is to you personally? Who do you say Jesus is? Now, now, for some of you, the ho- th- these holidays, for some of you, truth be known, Jesus is nothing. He's nobody to you. You don't, you don't think of him. You don't believe in him. He's not really a part of your life. By all accounts, he's nothing to you. And for some of you, Jesus is like part of a, a nice story, right? Kind of on the level of Frosty the Snowman and Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, and then we have the little baby Jesus. And for some of you, Jesus is like a symbol, kind of like you believe in Jesus like you believe in Santa. You know, he's a symbol of the spirit of the holidays, of goodness and, and generosity and kindness. For some of you, Jesus is just a symbol. But can I tell you the whole reason that we are doing this series is we want to do everything in our power to encourage you and inspire you and help prepare your heart so that your response will be very similar to the Apostle Peter. That your response is that Jesus is my Messiah, my Savior, the Son of the living God. And to help us prepare our hearts for the holidays, what we're doing is we're looking at some different sides of jesus almost like looking at the different facets of a diamond because friends this is the core of christmas and why jesus came in the first place in fact on your outline would you write this down that jesus came to show us an accurate picture of god an accurate picture of god do you understand that before jesus came people saw god quite differently Many people back in Jesus' day, they saw God as an angry God, a God of wrath and judgment and punishment, that God's main job was to be up in heaven with his, you know, quiver of lightning bolts, just waiting for people to mess up so he can zap them. And some people, their view of God, that God was this untouchable God. I mean, that you had to be really religious and super spiritual if you were going to have any shot of being close to God and having a relationship with him. And then again, for many, God was this distant God. Like God created the world and he created us, but now he lives a million miles away and God could care less about the everyday struggles of my everyday life. And I wonder if any of you here tonight see God that way. For you, is God angry, untouchable, distant? Can I tell you that Christmas, Christmas was that magical moment in history when God came near. Do you understand that, that, that at Christmas, in fact, one of my favorite Christmas verses from the Christmas story is printed there on your outline in Matthew 123, It says this, explaining the Christmas story, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. Would you underline the phrase God with us? Do you see, Jesus came at Christmas to give us a picture of what God's really like up close and personal so that we can know him and trust him and love him back. You know, there's a story of a kindergarten class. I've told this story a few times where the teacher gave this assignment to all her little children to draw a picture of anything they wanted to draw. And one kid, he drew a tiger and one girl, she drew a rainbow. And the teacher looks over at one girl, She draws and says, honey, what are you drawing a picture of? She said, I'm drawing a picture of God. She said, but honey, nobody knows what God looks like. She holds up her, picture. well, they will when I'm done. (laughs) Can I tell you, friends, that's what Jesus did for us at Christmas. He gave us a picture of what God is really like. You see, in Jesus, God gave us a face. When you see Jesus, you see God. If you want to know what god is really like friends all you need to do is look at jesus in fact that's what jesus was talking about in john fourteen nine on your outline when jesus said this whoever has seen me has what seen the father see because i've seen jesus i've seen his life i've seen his message i've seen his ministry because i've seen jesus i can see that god is compassionate that God is forgiving, that God hates hypocrisy, that God values truth. Because of Jesus, I can know that God cares for the needs of the poor. Because I've seen Jesus, I can know that I can see that God loves me and he loves you. Friends, Jesus brought God near so that we can know him and love him back. Do you know it's hard to have a relationship with a God that you think is angry angry? and untouchable and distant god wanted you to know him up close and personal that that he loves us and cares for us and that we can trust him and friends you never trust someone you don't know and friends it's through jesus that you can really know and love and trust god Friends, you know, in fact, uh, to t- try to help you capture the point I'm trying to make, would you write this down on your outline? Because I want to say it very clearly. Jesus never claimed to have the best explanation of God. He always claimed to be the best explanation. See, you've got to understand, this is what made Jesus so scandalous. This is what caused such serious conflict and controversy. Do you know one time there on your outline in John 8, 58 and 59, I want you to see this scandal. I want you to feel it. So so here's what happened. Here's what Jesus answered. He's having a a conversation with some religious leaders and some, some people in a synagogue, and it says, Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. Before Abraham was even born, I am. And at this point, they picked up stones to throw at him. Now friends, unless you understand the history of the Old Testament, you won't fully grasp the scandal of what's going on here and why they wanted to kill him. When Jesus said before Abraham was even born, I am, that phrase I am is the exact same phrase That God gave Moses on Mount Sinai in the book of Exodus, chapter 3, verse 14. When Moses said, God, when people ask what your name is, what do I tell them? And God said, you tell them that I am sent you. And so when Jesus said, I am, he was basically saying, I am God. Friends, scandalous. Scandalous. Maybe you never considered Jesus as being scandalous because some of you in your mind, you have this picture of Jesus, that Jesus was some, like, happy hippie flower child that just walked around hugging and healing people and, you know, peace, brother. Friends, that's not the Jesus of the Bible. I want you to think, like, where's the scandal? Some of you are going, well, it wasn't his moral teachings, It wasn't his helping people in need. Friends, what caused the scandal that led to his crucifixion was his outright claim to be the Son of God and the only source of true salvation. And it's scandalous to this very day to claim that you're God's Son, that you're the way, the truth, and the life, that you're the only way, that no one comes to the Father but through you. It was so scandalous that I don't want to just talk about it. I want you to see it. So I want you to see the result of the teachings and ministry and life of Jesus as we watch this clip together, and then we'll talk about it. Take a look. Today, Passover begins, and your emperor, Tiberius Caesar, makes you a gesture of goodwill, the release of a prisoner <gasps> chosen by you. I give you a choice. Barabbas, a dangerous agitator, a common murderer, or this preacher, who claims to be your king. He is not our king! We have no king but Caesar. You must decide. Jesus! Jesus! You choose a murderer? king! Crucify him. Friends, do you understand what got Jesus killed and crucified? Again, it wasn't his moral teachings. Wasn't his miracles or the way he helped people in need. It was his claim to be the Messiah, the King of the Jews, the Son of God. And it was so scandalous. And, and, and to add to that on your outline, I want you to see it wasn't just that alone. But almost like adding fuel to the fire, what really blew their minds was not just his demonstration of what God was like, but would you write this down, but whom God liked. Whom God liked. See, Jesus powerfully powerfully proclaimed in a culture that heard all their life that God was angry and untouchable and distant. Jesus preached that God liked you. That God liked you. I'm, I'm curious if any of you have any memories back when you were a little kid in elementary school. Maybe you're one of those, you got one of those notes. I remember the day I got a note from little Jessica sit at my desk, and some psst, psst, they hand me a note, and I open it up. It says, dear Paul, you are really cute, and Jessica has a crush on you, and she wants to know if you like her, and then at the bottom it said, if you like her, circle yes or no. Did any of you ever get one of those notes? Well, friends, can I tell you, We have the Bible, God's love letter to us. We have the teachings of Jesus. Can I tell you, when God looks at you, he circled, yes. He likes you. He loves you. He wants to have a real relationship with you. You know, there's a great quote from the Christian author, Max Lucado, who says this, if God had a refrigerator, your picture would be on it. If he had a wallet, your photo would be in it. He sends you flowers every spring and a sunrise every morning. Face it, friends. He is crazy about you. As you sit here this very day, do you, do you understand the scandalous message of Jesus is this, write this down. God loved and accepted everyone. And that everyone includes you. No matter what. In fact, write this down, no matter what race, friends, what I love about our church, look around this room, every race and color and background, in fact, one of our anthems here at Crossroads is that Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world, and what's the rest go? Red and yellow, black and white, all are precious in his sight. Jesus proclaimed the message that God loves everyone regardless of race, background. See, it doesn't matter if you're rich or poor or educated or uneducated or if you came from a stable family or a broken home. It doesn't matter your race, your background, or your status. Jesus didn't care if you were married or single or working or unemployed or 49er or raider. Friends, listen to me. This is what I love about Jesus and what I love about our church is that we carry the same scandalous message that whoever you are, whatever you've done, regardless of what you've done or what's been done to you, God loves you. Now, some of you may think, well, Pastor Paul, that's all well and good, but how is that scandalous? I mean, can can I tell you? Think about it. All throughout the history of religion, religious people back in Jesus' day to this very day actually took pride in separating themselves from most people from the the spiritual haves and the spiritual have-nots. The I got God and God loves me and you ain't got God and he doesn't love you. In fact, I want you to see it there on your outline. Turn your outline over. I want to give you six scandalous examples from the teaching and life of Jesus. And friends, I want you to do more than just hear about these. One of my challenges of you is during this Christmas season, as you're trying to fill in the blanks of who is Jesus, I I encourage you to read each one of these stories in your devotions. But I want you to see six scandalous examples from the life and teaching of Jesus. And the first one is the story of the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan. Let me think, well, how is that scandalous, Jesus teaching about, you know, how we're to love our neighbor? Friends, here's a scandalous example. The Good Samaritan, Jesus in this story confronted racism and he made the Samaritan the hero of the story instead of the religious priest. So we have that example. Or in the next example, the trilogy of lost things. The trilogy of lost things. This is found in Luke chapter 15. And in this chapter, Jesus gives three quick rapid fire examples of who God really loves and who God is really going after. You got to understand in Luke 15, Jesus was being criticized for hanging around with sinners and scum. And so Jesus said, hey, let me tell you the story of the, lost, of the lost sheep and the lost coin and the lost son. And in these stories, he shows us that God is on a mission to chase down sinners, but not to crush them, but to capture them with his love and welcome them home. And that's the trilogy of lost things, which was very scandalous to those who heard it. And then one of the most scandalous encounters that Jesus ever had was in Luke chapter 7, when a prostitute anointed his feet. See, the story takes place at the home of Simon the Pharisee, and Jesus comes over for dinner. And While they're having dinner, this prostitute breaks in. She throws herself at Jesus' feet. And the Pharisee named Simon... He was thinking to himself, man, if this man was really from God, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. That she's a whore, a sinner, a spiritual have not. And then Jesus said these powerful words. He says, those who've been forgiven little love little, but those who've been forgiven much love much. And then he forgave this woman and he gave her a new life. Do you know what jesus did in this story is being repeated over and over a thousand times over in fact four people from our church actually went to ethiopia and part of their ministry there was to help women who are trying to leave a life of prostitution and find love and hope in a relationship with jesus but it was a scandalous encounter the next one is the scandalous sermon on the mount found in Matthew chapters 5 6 and 7 and I challenge you to read this whole sermon because it seems like everything Jesus said from how to treat your enemies to how to look at women to the necessity of forgiveness to how to handle worry to calling out religious people for their hypocrisy and how to build a genuine life of faith that goes a distance like every paragraph in this sermon kind of scandalous and it kind of turns everything upside down the next one you write this down is is you see in Matthew chapter 8 just three little verses and you find that Jesus didn't just heal the sick but he touched the sick see people live with this mindset like if 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 you were sick you were cursed from God and that somehow if, if I got close to you and touched you that I would get infected too but Jesus went beyond that and he touched the untouchables. And then the last one is he dined with sinners and tax collectors, which were like sinners to the extreme, like the most hated group uh, of people in his culture. And and in this passage, what you find is that Jesus is called the friend of sinners and he even put a tax collector on his team, called him out to be one of his, his disciples. Now again, can I drive home the point that this was scandalous because Jesus taught that God's love and grace and friendship was open to all people, not just the really religious and the super spiritual. Kind of makes me think of this scandalous poem of what it will be like for some of us when we get to heaven. Let me read this to you now. It goes like this. I was shocked, confused, bewildered, as I entered heaven's door, not by the beauty of it all or the lights of its decor, but it was the folks in heaven who made me sputter and gasp, the thieves, the liars, the sinners, the alcoholics, and the trash. There stood a kid from seventh grade who swiped my lunch money twice, and next to him was my old neighbor who never said anything nice. Tom, who I always thought was rotting away in hell, was sitting pretty on cloud nine, looking incredibly well. Well, I nudged Jesus, I said, what's the deal? I'd love to hear your take. How'd all these sinners get up here? God, there must God must have made a mistake. And why is everyone so quiet, so somber? Jesus, give me a clue. And Jesus said, they're all in shock. No one thought they'd be seeing you, right? see scandalous scandalous but here's what jesus did friends he broke down the dividing walls of racism he tore down the vo- the veil of spiritual separation to understand the scandal of jesus and how he opened up heaven for sinners like you and me i want us to walk through a story on your outline it's called the story of the vineyard workers found in matthew chapter 20 verses 1-14 through 14. Let me summarize the story. Gia said, hey, there was an owner at a vineyard, and he needed to hire some people to work in his vineyard. So at 6 in the morning, he sent his, sent his, uh, his worker out, his land, the landowner uh, went out, and he hired some people to work in his vineyard. 6 a.m., agreed to pay him a normal day, day's wage. But he came back at 9 a.m., he found some other people not working, he hired them, and some more at noon, and some more at 3 o'clock. And then just an hour before quitting time, he saw some guys standing around the city square. He said, hey, why aren't you working? They said, well, nobody hired us. So the landowner said, hey, go out. There's only, only an hour left, but go out, get to work, and I'll pay you what's fair. So they did. And then the landowner told his foreman to call all the workers together and to pay them their wages. And beginning, and and, and if you read this carefully, it says beginning with the last workers, the one who started work at just like 5 o'clock, beginning with those guys first, here's the amazing thing, beginning with those guys first, they got paid a full day's wage. So they only worked an hour, and they get paid for a full day. Can you imagine the guys who worked all day? They're at the end of the line. Wait, They're thinking, man, if, if they got all that money for just an hour, I wonder what I'm going to get paid. But when they stepped up to get paid, they got paid the exact same amount. And so those workers started to grumble, that's not fair. We worked in the hot sun all day. These guys stroll in at the last hour, and we get the same amount. And the owner said, hey, Isn't that what you agreed to? And then the story ends with this verse on your outline. Let's look at it together from Matthew 20, 15. It says, should you be envious that I am kind and generous? Circle that word envious. because we're gonna talk about it in just a minute. Now, I told you that story, but I'd like to kind of put yourself in the story. I mean, how would you feel if you were the worker who worked all day Like you got up at 5 in the morning, got ready, went out, and you were from 6 in the morning, you're out in the hot sun working all day. I could imagine for at first they were probably like they were happy. Like I'm so glad I got picked to work. I'm going to be able to feed my family and take care of my future. They were probably happy, but as the day went on, and just the the grind of having to work out in the fields all day. And then to see someone who only worked like came in at 3 o'clock or 5 o'clock, You know, they get paid the same amount. How would you feel if that happened to you? I think your joy over having a job turns into judgment, right? Hey, that's not fair. You'd feel furious and and the guy only worked an hour. Imagine if that was you. Like, man, I tried to get a job, nobody hired me, and then then at the last minute someone grabs you, you work an hour, but they pay you for the whole day. How would you feel? oh my gosh man so humbled i feel so grateful what a gift the Landover is so generous and so kind and so gracious do you know that jesus used this very story to point out two ways that people respond to god's grace two responses to the scandalous grace of jesus i want to talk about it but i want you to see it with your own eyes so i'm going to show you a clip about jesus's encounter With a woman caught in adultery and if you pay close attention you're going to see two different responses to the scandalous grace of jesus let's take a look the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure buried in a field and when you find this treasure This woman, caught in the very act of committing adultery. In the law, Moses commands us to stone such women. What do you say, teacher? They're beating him. It's a trap. I was told, you preach according to the law of Moses. Do you have an answer, Nazarene? Let anyone among you who is without sin be the first to cast their stone. There's no man here who condemns you? No one, my lord. Neither do I. Go your way. And from now on, do not sin again. I want to see the temple you more tomorrow. Do you want to come with us? Where? Does it matter? Yes, I go where I want. I'm free. You're not free, but you could be. Would you come with us? You treated her like like she was worth something. She is. So are you. The amazing, scandalous grace of Jesus. Did you see it? two very different responses the first one from the religious leader would you write this down is is like the religious leader we often get offended offended by God's grace that religious leader he wanted justice he was angry and in the end he distanced himself from Jesus because he offered the woman grace he was envious of the kindness and grace of Jesus in fact I want you to write down this great definition of envy there on your outline is envy is resenting resenting God's goodness in other people's lives while ignoring his goodness in my life you see it in the story of the vineyard and and in this encounter with the woman it isn't right it isn't fair I deserve I'm a good person, I worked hard, I deserve good things, and God owes me. It's almost a spirit of entitlement. And in the video, The Heart of the Pharisee, I worked hard all my life to be religious and earn the acceptance and favor of God, and you go and offer this ungodly woman? I mean, just like that, like, like it's some gift you can hand out to anyone? She gets to be restored and called right with God? Think about it, friends. The early workers and the religious leader and the the self-righteous entitlement, I worked. I deserve. And what the late workers and this adulterous woman who got forgiveness on the spot, this feeling like it's not fair. I want to ask you a question tonight. When you consider your relationship with God, do you want God to be fair with you? Do you want God to be fair? I was thinking about this and I was thinking about, you know, when I drive on 880 and I see like a jerk driving, weaving in and out and speeding, part of me, man, I want justice. I want a highway patrol to nail that jerk. Like I even pray, man, Lord, could you send someone to like pull that guy over? He's an idiot. But then when I'm driving, I'm speeding and I see the highway patrol on the side of the road, what do I want? Do I want justice? No, I want great. Like, I haven't prayed. Oh, Lord, please, please. I don't want a ticket. Please, God, don't let them turn on the side. You know, I, think about it, friends. Do you really want God to be fair? See, what they refuse to see, the workers and the religious leaders, is that the truth is, as you sit here to a person, we all need God's amazing grace. I love this great quote from Andy Stanley on on your outline that says this, either you were a mess, are a mess, or, or one dumb decision away from becoming a mess. What I love about this quote is it highlights the truth, we all need God's grace. And the scandalous message of Jesus is that God's grace And you see it from the Christmas story all the way through the life, death, and resurrection of Christ is this, write this down. Grace arrives unannounced in lives that least expect it and most of the time least deserve it. And that leads to the second response, the response that I hope that you'll make to this scandalous Jesus. See, this woman caught in adultery, she was captured by her sins, But then she got captured by grace. Captured by grace. See, we can be captured by grace. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved, rescued through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Would you underline the phrase, it is a gift of God. You know, many, this weekend, many of us have come here and we've come prepared to give a gift to God, to give our birthday present to Jesus. And I want you to know that here at Crossroads, this birthday present to Jesus is like our hands-on way of remembering that Christmas is Jesus' birthday, not ours. So every year we try to give a gift to Jesus that we know will honor Christ and touch his heart. And what we know is what Jesus loves most is he loves people and he loves his church. So this year, every part of the offering is going to help people in need in our community and to build this church. And friends, some of you may be asking or wondering, hey, well, why? Why would we give this gift especially in light of the fact that so many of us are struggling just to make it and i want to tell you that that most of us were motivated myself included to give a gift because i've received the greatest gift of all god's amazing grace and friends can i tell you when you receive grace it should produce grace in your life when you receive God's love, it should produce God's love in your life. When you've been given a gift by God, it should turn you into a great giver. And so that's why we give this gift. We're not trying to buy God's love or not trying to work hard for or earn something. It's because we've received God's gift of love and forgiveness and eternal life by trusting Christ to be our savior. And friends, that's why we're here as a church to do all we can to first of all help people get captured by God's love and grace, and then to carry that to as many people as possible. In fact, if you're here tonight, and if you have never personally received God's gift of grace for you, man, my prayer for you is found on the bottom of your outline. Our last verse from Ephesians 3.18 that says this. My prayer for you is that someday you'll be able to grasp, that you'll be captured by how high and how long and how deep and how wide God's love is for you. And that's what I want to pray for right now. I'd like to ask you all to bow your heads and close your eyes and pray with me. It's a very spiritually significant moment right now. Do you know 2,000 years ago on that first Christmas when Christ came, that he came for you. He came to be your Emmanuel, God with you, God up close and personal. And he came so that you can know that God has compassion and grace and forgiveness and love just for you. Jesus is God's gift for you. And you don't have to work for it or earn it or try to deserve it. The only thing you have to do for a gift is to humbly receive it. You can do that right now by receiving Christ into your life. The same way that you'd invite your best friend into your home, you can invite Christ into your heart with arms wide open. You can say, Jesus... I want to be offended by your grace I want to be captured and and so the best way I know how I just open up and ask you to envelop me with your love and mercy and forgiveness and kindness in fact many times we end our services we ask you to lift a hand of blessing but this very night as if you're lifting an open hand to receive God's grace and goodness If that's where you're at tonight, will you just humbly raise your hand toward heaven? Almost like saying, God, me too. I want your grace. I want your mercy. I want your kindness. I don't want to go through Christmas like you're nothing or just a story or a symbol. But by raising my hand, I am declaring, you are my Savior. And I've received your gift. And now I want to do my very best to carry that gift.